Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. good. What a beautiful day in church. Who can feel the presence of God? A few. Who can feel the presence of God? Yeah. What an honour and a privilege is it to actually feel God, to actually come into the house of God and He comes into His own house to meet with us. Wow. Wow. You know, don't take that for granted. You know, there's many churches you can go. There's many places you can go. And you could go into a church and God doesn't come to his house. But he's welcome here. And he loves to come and be with his kids. Amen. So good. So we've just come back from uh, long service leave. It's starting to feel normal. They said two and a half weeks, jet lag. Maybe it takes longer the older you get. I don't know. Maybe you just need to add a few weeks on per year of your age. I'm not sure, but I don't feel normal yet. But maybe that's a good thing that I don't feel normal because we're supposed to be a peculiar people and, and I'm just happy to float in the presence of God and just hang out with Him and be abnormal. Amen. But we went to a lot of places. We went to like 10 different nations. And, and before I left... Um, one of our prophetic people came up to me and said, you know, God's going to do something really special in each place that you go to. So make sure you just take mental notes or a journal or, you know, just take note that you're not just going on holiday for three months to just check out. How many of you know that we don't go on holiday to check out from God? Oh, I checked out from being a pastor. Thank you to the team. I checked out from being a mother even. I checked out from being a grandmother. I checked out from all those things that had the big R on them, you know, responsibility. And I just, but I didn't want to check out from God. And I wanted to be in His presence. So what I found was that every place that I went, that it wasn't like God was doing something special and new. It was like He was reminding me of all that he had done in the last 36 years of knowing him. It was like he was bringing me into places and situations where he'd go, do you remember that? Do you remember when I did that? Do you remember that part of your heart that I healed? Do you remember that relationship that I restored? Do you remember that time when you came before the altar in repentance? Do you remember that intercession that I answered? It was all these places. So what I did was, Every place that I kind of went, I was just like collecting little bits. And that. I found that on the beach. How, how weird is that? I just felt something bang against my foot. And there, that was there on the beach where God was showing me something that he'd done in my life. And then I don't know what that is, a bit of slate or something. Anyway, that was somewhere where I, where I thought, you know, God's doing something. And that bit of tile there was from the island where... 
the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, and he stayed there and preached. And that was a bit of tile from supernaturally healed. So that was a, a memory. I, it's part of the monastery. Thank you, John, for your history lesson. We didn't break it off the monastery. We found it in the water. We actually went for a swim in the water there, and there was just all these bits of tile in the water. So anyway, and that was from somewhere else. It's just a bit of clay. And this was a shell from one of the places in Croatia. That was great. God said something. These are all personal things God was talking to me about. And there's a rock from somewhere else and a little bit of other tile. And there's just a few more rocks in here. And, and as I started to collect these things, I thought, God, why are, you, why are you getting me to do this? Why? And then I realized that these were representing the altars that, that God had helped me to build in my life, that, that each part represented perhaps a broken piece of my heart that God had healed or restored. And, and, he, and it, it was just like this altar. And, you know, it says in, in Psalm 5, 3, and this is in the Passion Translation, Every morning, Lord, I lay the pieces of my life before your altar and wait for your fire to fall on my heart. Do you know that altars, you can take that, thanks, Rach. Do you know that altars are actually places of remembrance? When we build an altar before the Lord, and in the Old Testament, when we saw altars built before the Lord, it was a place of remembrance. And if you look at the Old Testament and you, in context and you look at the Old Testament story, you'll see that human beings continuously needed to be reminded of God's goodness because they would forget pretty easily. You know, we see the Israelites, you know, they're bored out of Egypt and bored out of slavery and it's not long before they're whinging and complaining and they're going back to their old ways and they're just saying, it would have been better back in Egypt and and so God set up these sort of festivals and, and um, uh, what do you call them, feasts and festivals to remind them so that they would remember, don't forget what I have done for you. Remember what I have done. Keep it in remembrance. So even when we take communion, we know that that's set up as a remembrance of what Jesus has done, that incredible altar that was built for our salvation, for our redemption. We remember, we take communion, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget what I have done. And it was almost like God was saying to me, build an altar again to me with the pieces of your heart and remember what I have done. Revisit that altar and thank me. And you know how easy it is to forget now, when we look in, in, the, in the scriptures, and Pastor Phil's been wonderfully talking about these altars with Abraham, and we see that Abraham is basically um, overwhelmed by God. What's the word? He has an encounter with God. Abraham is just doing normal life. He's well off. He's with his family. He's got a lot of money. He's, everything's going well for him. He's not a drug addict. He's not someone that needs rescuing. He's just someone that God is going to come and God's going to introduce himself to. And so he comes to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12, and he says to Abraham, follow me, basically. He said, leave your father's house, leave everything, and come and follow me. 
And I'm, I'm going to take you somewhere. Abraham's going, where are you going to take me? I'm not telling you. You just follow me. And we're going to go from here. We're going to go to a new place. How many of you have been in that journey where even when you were born again, it was just like, follow me. And, and you say, I don't know where I'm going. I don't understand this. When I was first born again, I didn't understand a thing about salvation. I didn't understand a thing of where I was going. When Jesus said to me, follow me, I went, where to? I'll follow you anywhere, but I don't know where I'm going. And you need to teach me where I'm going. You need to show me but I have faith to follow you. And so Abraham did. Abraham left. He left his father's house. He left everything. He took his wife. He took Lot and he followed God. When they got up to this high place, God said, see this land, see all this land. We'll have a look in this scripture here in Genesis 12, 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He built an altar at the very place of encounter, at the very first place where God spoke to him, at the place of the promise, at the place where God said, I will give this land not just to you, but I will give it to your descendants. And he began to build altars unto the Lord. Well, not long after he built an altar, famine struck the land. How many of you know that just when you get that breakthrough, just when you come into that place of salvation, or just when you come into a place where God's doing something in your heart, famine strikes, the attack comes, things happen in your life, and you just go, whoa, everything was going so well. I got so blessed on Sunday night at church. I was under the anointing, and I was, I was, you know, Pastor Luke prayed for me, and I felt the fire of God come on me, and I heard God's voice speak to me. And then Monday morning, famine. Tuesday morning, famine. And famine hits the land, and it's like, what do we do? So instead of returning to the altar, instead of returning to that place of visitation, we do what Abraham did, and we go on and say, well, I need to provide for myself. I need to work this out myself. So we go back into self-provision we're going to work this out. Me and God, you know, we're good. We're good, God. But I think I need to handle this. So Abraham turns around from where he's built the altar, goes the opposite direction and goes to Egypt. Now to get into Egypt, Abraham has to do some sneaky things. And one of those was his wife was just so beautiful. Sari was beautiful, really stunning to look at. And he knew that if he said that Sari was his sister then he could get into Egypt by lying, by deceit, by doing things the old way he used to do them before he had the encounter with God. And so he lies. He says, you know, she's my sister. And of course, the king thinks she's beautiful. Well, come in, come in, come into Egypt. But when he finds out that things start to go wrong in, his, in the land and he finds out that Abraham has lied to him, he just tells him, get out of here because I know you're God and he's going to curse me. And I'm going to be cursed because of what you have done. So Abraham, tail between his legs, he leaves there. And I love this about Abraham. And I love this about us as human beings, if we can just get this. That instead of running to another place to try and do it in my own strength in another way, I need to go back. I need to go back to the place where I met with God. I need to go back where I went wrong. I need to go back. Instead of just going off in another direction, I need to go back. You know, we used to call it B-A-R bar at school. You know, if you're doing chasings and you could just touch it, go B-A-R bar, you were safe and no one, you couldn't get out. It was like you need to go back to B-A-R bar. And I, I need to go back to where I built that altar. 
I need to go back where I encountered God, where I went wrong, and I need to fall on my knees before God and worship Him and reestablish the altar of my heart before God. And that's what he did. And I love that about Abraham. I love that about him. I love what Pastor Phil said last week. You go to the altar to get altered. (laughs) And I thought that's so true. You know, he, he went back to the altar and said, God, I just humble myself before you. I repent, God, of doing it my own way. Lord, I fall on my knees in repentance to you. And I say, Lord, you lead me. You alter me. I've come to the altar to be altered. Amen? Sometimes you've got to go back to go forward. How many of you know that? Sometimes you've got to go back to get forward. But how many of us get stuck in the back? How many of us go back and get stuck there? How many of us go back to this altar and just say, I'll just stay here and I'm never, nothing's ever going to change again in my life. But we've got to go back to go forward. There's another altar to build. Amen. There's another victory to win. There's another place that God is going to lead you. There's another, there's another part of your life that God is going to explode and implode and then place His Spirit inside of you. We've got to go back to go forward, not back to go back or back to stay there. Amen. Yes. In Genesis 13, 3 to 4, from the Negev, He went from place to place until he came to Bethel and I, where his tent had been earlier, and we had first built the altar. And then Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Psalm 5-7 in the Passion Translation says this, I know where home is. <laughs> you know, there's a feeling inside of you where you know when you're home. He says he went from place to place. And sometimes we can get in our spirits where we're in that place to place. That, But then we get into the presence like we did this morning in that worship, you know, and I'm just standing on that altar. I went, oh, home. Home. There's no place like home. It's like we know where home is. And you know that feeling. You know that feeling when you're right with God and when you're in His will. And when his presence is around you, you just go, home, I'm home, I'm home. And so Abraham, Abraham knew how to go home. He went from the give place to place and went back to the home. You know, so important in our journey that we don't lose our first love, that we don't forget what God has done for us, that we never forget that first love, that way, that passion for Him, that we, that we don't allow the fire to go out on the altar, that we stay in touch with Him, that we, that we stay in communion with Him, that we love Him, and that we don't lose our first love. Amen. Revelations 2, 1 to 5 says this, To the angel of the church at Ephesus I write, These are the words of Him who holds the seven stars, in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships. Anybody persevered and endured some hardships in this place? Amen. And he's encouraging you for that. You've done all those things. You've turned up to church. You've fought your battles. You've, 
You've waged wars in the spirit realm. You've fought health problems. You've fought financial problems. You know, you've fought your, your kids being wayward and you've brought them back and you've fought and you've fought and you've done the right thing and you've, you know, you've read your Bible. You've done everything you know how to do. But he says, but I have this against you. He says this, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Remember the way home. Remember the way home. And go back to go forward. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, in Matthew 7, 23, there's a strange scripture there. And it says, Many will say to me in that day, Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles? And then I will tell them, Jesus says plainly, Away from me, I never knew you. And I always wondered about that scripture. What is that? Obviously, these people are Christians. Obviously, they're doing the right thing. Obviously, they're casting out demons. They're prophesying. They're seeing miracles happen. But Jesus said to them, I will say to them plainly, I'll make it very clear. Away from me, I never knew you. You know, if you look at the word knew, the interpretation of that word is exactly the same word that is used in Genesis 4.1 that says, and Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived. And I think this, to know Jesus, you can do the stuff. You can act like a Christian. You can come to church. You can even do miracles, cast out demons, prophesy. But if you don't intimately know Him, you will never conceive. And Jesus wants true conceptions. He wants people really coming into the kingdom to Him, not just to a religious thing. He wants people really understanding that when He heals their bodies, that it's because of His love for them and it leads them to Him. You conceive out of intimacy. Jesus said, depart from me for I never knew you. I wasn't intimately acquainted with you. Therefore, we never conceive these things together. You just did them in my name. But you didn't do them from my womb. Isn't that amazing? You're looking at me like, uh uh-uh. Is it amazing? Yeah, amen. You know, I've got written here, you can have as much of God as you want. (laughs) And it's so true. I can have as much of God as I want. When I look around the world and I see the people that are doing the most amazing things in God, they're always the people that say, God, I want you. I want you first and foremost in my life. I want all that you are. I want you, God. I want to stay at the altar. I want to worship you, God. I, you know, I just want you. I want to lay everything down. I'm, I'm in repentance. I'm in humility. Lord, I want you. And they're the ones that are doing the most incredible work. Because why? Because they're in intimacy with him. And therefore, they're conceiving something that is lasting and beautiful and pure and wonderful. Amen? You can have as much of God as you want. You don't have to be a superstar, you know, traveling the world, preaching the gospel to have more of God. You can get into your room with God. You can can be changing babies' nappies and crying, say, God, I want more of you. You can put worship music on your house while you're vacuuming. You can 
put some you know, podcasts on in the car on the way to work instead of listening to the radio. You can get off Facebook and get in the presence of God and, and just be with him. You can have as much of God as you want. We say we don't have time. We're time poor. We're time poor. I, I look on Facebook. I see how many of you are on Facebook and how many hours you spend on that thing. It's ridiculous. And I'm beating myself up for the same thing because it's an addiction. It's an addiction. It can get you. And you go like, you know, instead of in the old days, we were just, oh, let's read a book to relax or let's go watch TV. Now it's like Facebook. And the, the, the hard part about it is that, I don't know about you, but I'll go, you know, we often read our Bibles on, you know, devices now. And so I go to my device to read my Bible, my phone or my iPad, and I'll be reading the Word of God. And then all of a sudden it pops up, a little message. Someone just likes your photo. Oh. Someone just likes my photo. Excuse me, God. <laughs> you know, I've got a fan. You know what I mean? And it's like we get so easily distracted. But God wants so much for us. He wants you to have all of Him. Like it's unlimited what you can have of God. It's unlimited each one of us. What we can have of God is, it's not, a, you know, well, you pastors, you need a lot of God and we'll just follow you and you, te- you, know, you can just give out what you get. But you know what? I want to get from you. I want to come to church and someone walk up to me, Pastor, I've been praying for you this week and, and God just showed me this and this and this about you and you're just so amazing and, and I've got a word of encouragement for you and I've got a scripture for you and, and rivers of living water flow from you, amen? Amen? It's up to us, the body of Christ. You can have as much of God as you want. You know, in a relationship, you only get out of a relationship where you put in. How many of you know that? You know, a lot of people, I mean, we, we marry a lot of people. And you can see them, you know, it's all about the wedding day. It's all about the wedding day. And everything is going to be wonderful when I walk down that aisle and I say, I do. My life is going to change forever. It's going to be, all my problems will be solved and it's going to be fantastic. And I just, you know, you don't want to burst their bubble, but you want to bring them to reality and kind of go. And I think one, one great phrase that I heard was this, you know, you don't just choose that person on that altar that day. You've got to make a commitment to choose that person a million more times. You know, a million more times you've got to choose them. And that's the same with God. You know, we, we get out of a relationship what we put in. And I've got to choose God every day. Every morning I've got to wake up and put the pieces of my heart on His altar and ask Him to put His fire on me again. Every day it's what I put in is what I get out. What I put in is what I get out. Now, you young people that aren't married yet or single people in the room, who have been married and aren't anymore, you know that how important a close relationship is that you can just go and pour your heart out to somebody. Do you know what I mean? You need to talk more than anyone because you don't have a partner to talk to. And you know that there are, there are, there are, you can have different kinds of relationships, different kinds of friendships. You can have shallow ones. You just go hang out together and talk about the weather and just hang out together. But when you sit down at that coffee table and someone looks at you and say, how is your life really going? You know what I mean? You know, relationship is about inputting and outputting, not just hanging out or knowing someone, but actually having an intimate relationship with them and being eye to eye, heart to heart. Amen? You know, Abraham did not just um, build an altar. He also pitched a tent by that altar says that he built an altar and he pitched a tent. Amen? Genesis 12, 8. 
Then he proceeded from there to the mountain of the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel at the west and I in the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent. Do you know what? Sometimes you've built an altar to the Lord. The Lord's visited you. You know, you're having an encounter with God. I mean, we have lots of altar experiences, but you need to pitch a tent next to that. And I'm telling you, it's not a tent you can fit other people in. It's a one-man tent. It's a tent where you say, I'm going to pitch this tent. I'm going to get these stakes. and I'm going to drive these stakes into the ground. And I'm going to get in that tent, one person, me alone, with God, and we're going to do business. And we're going to do business until I have built a stronghold around this altar. I'm not just going to look at the altar and go away and do my life and then come back and look at the altar and go away. I'm pitching a tent here. And I'm putting the stakes down deep. I'm going to build a stronghold so that I can stand when the enemy comes, when I can stand when the famine comes. And I'm able to say, no, no, not only did I build an order, I pitched a tent. And I put my stakes down deep into the ground. And God and I have done business over this and I have won. God and I have won this victory. This part, Satan, you can't have anymore. This part of my heart, it's his. It's his because I pitched a tent and I won a victory and I built a stronghold unto the Lord. We can't stand before God on that day and say, God, I would have spent more time with you if it wasn't for my rotten husband, if it wasn't for my kids that always drag on me, if it wasn't for my work that was so busy. I would have spent more time with you. You know, you have to go into that tent by yourself. It's a one-man tent. And when you stand before the Lord, you stand alone. No excuses. What did you do with that which I gave you? Did you pitch a tent? Did you get in a one-man tent and spend time with me? Did you build a stronghold around that that the enemy could not bring down? Amen? (laughs) But don't stop there. (laughs) Abraham did not just build altars and pitch tents. He then dug wells. He then, where his altar and his tent was, he dug a well. How many of you know how important water is in the desert? It's more precious than gold, water in the desert. Amen. And the Bible tells us to draw water from the wells of our salvation. It says that out of our inner being will flow springs, rivers of living water. It says, if you drink from me, Jesus said, I am the water of life. If you drink from me, you will never thirst again. There's, there's got to be a well besides that staking, besides that altar that you can drink from. Amen. And you need to drink from the well of your salvation. You need to drink from the presence of God. You know, something amazing happens when you build a well. It's just be like you're drinking out of your well. All of a sudden you look next to you and there's other people drinking. Other people drinking my well. That's amazing. And I want to tell you, that's ministry. How do you think people like Pastor Phil and I and others have gotten into ministry? Well, we built an altar we pitched a tent, we dug a well, started drinking, and then noticed other people were drinking. You know? So when you do these things, it becomes then, it becomes like I'm conceiving something. It becomes like I'm birthing something. It becomes like this isn't all just about me and my struggle with sin and my struggle with my laziness or my relation. This becomes like I'm building an altar, I'm pitching a tent, I'm digging a well, and other people are drinking. 
Do you know what it feels like when other people drink your will and they come alive? Do you know what it feels like when other people drink your will and they come to life? Amen? Now what you've got to be careful of, it says that the Philistines came and they stopped up the wells of Abraham. They stopped up the wells. They stop up the wells with three things. They stop up the wells with rocks. How many rocks have been thrown at you when you're trying to dig a well, when you're trying to pitch a tent, when you're trying to get by your altar? How many rocks have been thrown at you? How many, ro- how many rocks do you dodge and they fall into your well? And then they put in their dead animals. How much dead sin can you carry around with you before it stops your well up? How much death can you carry around you until it stops your well? How much depression? How much anxiety? How much, how much death can you bring? to your well before it stops you up. Dead animals, not living sacrifices that you should be at your altar, a living sacrifice unto God, but I'm gonna bring my dead old stinking animals and they're gonna fall into my well. And the other thing that falls into the well is dirt. Just dirt, just everyday, normal, you know, basic dirt. Dirt, dust off your shoes, dust off the road, dirt that gets around your life, just everyday living, and it just stops up the well, and it fills up all the little gaps in your well where the water could have maybe just came through a little bit. Now the dirt's just filled that up. And it's so important for us to redig our wells, to redig the wells of salvation, to redig the passion for God, to redig that living water that comes out of us. Amen. We are the church of the living God. We are the hope of the world. Apart from anything else, it's miserable to live with a stopped up well and it stinks and you're thirsty and you're tired and you're hungry and you're you're just crabby to be around. But you drink from the fresh living water, you come to life. Amen. Dig a well, dig a well. Not only do when you dig a well, will you notice that others are coming to drink from that well, but the next thing you'll notice is that the well It's not just being there for you. The altar that you built, the tent that you staked, and the the well that you dug is there for the generations. And even if the enemy stops up your well, I'm telling you, he cannot stop the flow of the covenant blessing that's on your life to you and your generations. He said to Abraham, I will give this land to you and your descendants. To you and your descendants. This land is yours. And you might think, well, my well's so stopped up. How are my kids ever going to be able? I'm telling you, I'm calling the Isaacs to come forth. I'm calling the next generation to come forth. The Isaacs to come forth. And the Isaac came and he looked and he saw that all his father's wells had been stopped up. Now, Isaac didn't get cocky. He didn't put his hand on his hip and go, well, now I'll show the old man how to do it. I'll dig my own wells. You know, he didn't know how to dig a good well anyway. Look at them, they're a mess. I'll just do it myself. No, he honoured the former generation. He respected what they had done, what his father had done. And he went and he unstopped all his father's wells. He unstopped all his father's wells. It's time to generationally fight. It's time to be a multi-generational church where we say as generations, it's not about the young people, it's not about the old people, it's not about, it's not about, it's about us generationally moving forward, unstopping the wells of our fathers and allowing fresh water to flow. Amen. 
Do you know the other beautiful thing about Isaac? Not only did he unstop his father's wells, but he called them exactly the same names that his father had called them. Honour, where honour is due. Standing on the shoulders of another generation will get you a lot further than trying to do it your way. You know what? We are an incredible church. For 20 years, we've been unstopping wells, building altars, pitching tents, and staking ground for God. And we're not giving up now. We're not giving up now. We're not going home. We're not going to sleep. We're going to stay awake. We're going to visit our own personal altars, aren't we? We're going to remember what God has done in our lives. We're going to visit the altars of this church and remember what God has done in this church. And we're not going to stay there. We're going to go back to go forward. We're going to move in the Holy Spirit. We're going to do and we're going to obtain every blessing the Lord has promised to us. And we will be the father of many generations. And we will see another move of God hit this land. And we will see our young people rise up in the power of God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.